Hey, Jerry, I'm so excited. Our podcast, Because I Want to Know and Hibbly Horror Stories, are doing a live event together in the Dallas area. Yep, Saturday, October 16th. It's going to be so much fun. Dude, you just completely ignored the fact that Mysterious Circumstances and Hillbilly Horror Stories have a live event the night before in Galveston, Texas. I did not. As a matter of fact, Justin, I was just going to bring up the Galveston show on Friday, October 15th. Jerry, why are you doing a commercial with Justin? Once again, you have given him special treatment over me. Besides, we have a special private dinner show in Memphis on that Tuesday, October 12th. Tracy, I would never give anyone preferential treatment over you. Of course you wouldn't. Thank you, Justin. Um, hello? Leslie Fear over here. Now everyone's ignoring me. Enough! Get your tickets and more information at hillbillyhorrorstories.com. We will see you there unless we kill each other first. Welcome to Because I Want to Know, the podcast where I interview guests about their crazy unique occupations or life experiences. I'm your host, Leslie Fear. So let's get into it, shall we? Hey everyone, today I'm joined with Daniel and he is an environmental field officer in New South Wales, Australia. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Hey, it's good to be here. Well, I'm so happy to have you on my show. I tell you, you came to me because you were wanting to talk about the devastating fires and uh, the new season that may be coming up with the fires in Australia. And I wanted to give you a chance to talk about some of the things you experienced. So tell me... Um, kind of what you do, and then tell me some of the things you experienced. Well, a lot of our works is with river systems and stuff like that. We obviously do maintenance of uh, fire trails and erosion control, but we're actually on call a fair bit for when bushfires kick off when we've got to go and clean tracks up for them and put containment right. lines in and fire breaks. So you work for the, for a company that helps with that erosion control, whether it's a dam or some kind of system that you have to repair after a fire or just in general? In general, whether it's uh, before the season, we're actually maintaining a trail at the moment that was damaged due to storms that have come through. Okay. Now you guys are coming into your spring summer season as we're coming into our fall winter season. Obviously you guys are opposite of us. So can you take me back to the time when you were having to go and inspect these areas with these devastating fires back in what, 2019 to 2020? Is that right? Yeah, that's right. We're usually updating the fire trails through the year. But where some of the fires had kicked off, they hadn't seen a bushfire in quite some time. So a lot of those trails had a little less care done to them. And we were called up to either gain access to fires or put containment lines in. Not just our company that does it, there is a wide variety of contractors that do help and come in to do the same as what we do as well. Okay. Um, but we are one of the primary contractors for it. Okay. So what you do is you go, like you said, you go and kind of inspect these areas. From what I understand, and you and I talked a little bit before we started recording, some of these areas were absolutely beyond devastated. And it had an impact on you. I, I, I know it did. So can you talk a little bit about those kinds of situations and how you handle things? Yeah, no, that's fine. I'll give you a run up to how and why it was as bad as what it was, which it actually could have been a lot worse. Okay. We had 
uh, a drought. Um, most areas where the fires had affected, there'd been a drought for like seven years. Mm. So there was a lot of dry vegetation, a lot of deadfall and fuel loads in the environment, which didn't help. And as I said to one person, if it wasn't for the drought, these fires would have been a lot worse, in my opinion. And they looked at me and they said, why is that? I said, well, some of the fires, we're actually leaving kilometres of fire front because they're only burning to dirt. They're not going any further than that. Right. Okay. That makes sense. And why put energy into something that's going to fizzle out within 100 metres? Right. But yes, as I um, very busy time. It started for mid-November 2019 for me. Other teams that had started earlier for them with that season. And, yeah, we were pretty busy, to say the least. I spent pretty much two and a half months on the fires, tracing them. And, yeah, it was uh, a very busy time. Most of that was spent away from home. And one of those was actually spent in next to no phone service or anything. So it was quite difficult to uh, let home know how I was going. Now, did you work with the firefighters there too, or are you working after the fire is done and now you're inspecting those things? No, we were working alongside the firefighters, the RFS, so they're the Rural Fire Service over here. Okay, so you are seeing and witnessing the devastation along with them and while also trying to maybe uh, instruct on the better way to fight the fire, or was that your role at all either, or... I'm not sure about what all you had to do. Basically, what we did was we'd bring our machine in. We'd talk with the local fire teams on their plan of attack Mm -hmm. and what was best suited. And if we had any opinion about that, we would chime in and just let them know that, hey, look, if you go this way, it'll be a bit quicker and a bit easier on everyone with access. But yeah, some of them where they were remote, plans were come up as the day progressed and I would always get the constant update of what the fire is doing, how fast it's travelling and whereabouts it is. Were these fires, were they in residential areas or were they more in rural areas uh, or was it kind of a little bit of both? I know there's got to be some loss of life and that couldn't have been easy to watch. No, it uh, wasn't easy even just to witness. I remember the day I come in, and as I was coming to fire control for a certain fire, the uh, flags were at half-mast, and we knew, well, I was in my vehicle driving there, and I knew straight away something bad had happened. Oh, no. That was uh, when a tree fell over a fire truck, killing two RFS people. But, um, yeah, there was more to come with the fatal incidents that happened. After that, there was the uh, bomber that went down, was it a month later, I think it was? Okay. It actually, if I remember correctly, it took the lives of a couple of Americans that were over here helping us. My goodness. Were you able to, you know, I I can't even imagine. I'm so sorry to hear that and that you had to see any of it or witness any of it. 
but it sounds like because you're so valuable to these firefighters and how you guys have to navigate how devastating they are, because you told me before we started recording, the fires were so intensely hot that they were turning metal into lava, like just liquid lava, and nothing could escape it. So I can't, I can't even imagine. Oh, had I not witnessed some of the devastation it done, I couldn't have even imagined it myself. Mm. Um, yeah, they compared it to the 94 bushfires that we had over here. And I was only about five when they come through. And I was told by a very close family member that the only thing that stopped those was pretty much the ocean. Oh, wow. That's that's pretty intense when, when you can't even do it, but the ocean has to. Wow. Yeah. Like, they compared them to them, but from what I was told... The um, hours, the fires in 2019, 2020 was hotter and quicker mm. was the best way to describe them. And I, like I was telling you before, I remember hearing about your devastating fires, even here in Texas. And I had asked you, it seemed like your entire continent was on fire and you were like, no, 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 it was just one state. So can you describe to my listeners about where it was and we can kind of go from there? Well, basically, it was pretty much New South Wales, like it's its own state on the east coast. Okay. Um, there was some fires in Queensland, which is just north of New South Wales, and there was some that were in Victoria, which is south of New South Wales, and then um, there was some in South Australia. I'm probably going to get wrong where all the fires were, but it was hard to keep track of them at the time. Yeah. Um, but the primary fires that you would have seen over there were New South Wales on the east coast. Like they were pretty much the whole eastern part of New South Wales was pretty much on fire. Yeah, and you know, that's by Melbourne, and that's by Sydney area, I mean, right? That's all of that kind of area. Am I right about that? Yeah, I know they got real close to Sydney. I don't know how close they got to Melbourne, but um, if this gives your listeners any idea, New Zealand, which is kind of southeast of us, Mm -hmm. was getting our smoke and ash. Oh, my gosh. They were getting smoke and ash. Wow. Okay. That's a lot. We have fires in California and maybe it's opposite where you guys are, but the winds always kind of come from the west to east here, usually. So whenever we get fires in California, um, if they're really bad, it'll be hazy in Texas. We won't get ash from it, but people, you know, right next to California, like Nevada and those kinds of places, will see some of that, I think, if it's devastating enough. So I know what you're talking about. But to be an entire different country across, you know, an ocean and still getting your ash, those are some big fires. Yeah, you're not wrong there. Like a lot of the main fires that you would have seen over there, the main one which kicked I'd say the world news off was fire that happened on the coast I think about two three hours drive away from me where it was just the sky was orange and smoke and that orange wasn't coming from the sun it was coming from the fire Wow. Um, yeah there was parts of the fires I don't remember seeing the sun for days the whole time I was there I don't remember seeing the sun on some of them 
I don't even know, Daniel, how you could have breathed air, you know, if all you're seeing is fire everywhere. And but in your voice, I can tell you've had to have had some kind of PTSD from this. This is just, it's devastating anyway, but to be in this and have to witness what you've seen, I just, I don't even know how you're coping right now. I don't even know. One day at a time sort of thing. And that's actually why I um, come to message you to start with to talk about it is to share it, to get it off my chest and to continue on. Absolutely. So tell me what you felt when you were in that time when all you saw was the orange from the fire and it wasn't from the sun and how it smelled and how it affected you. Tell me that. This is probably going to sound a bit different to some people. But in the uh, time uh, when it's going on, it was adrenaline. I looked at my job, what I had to do, and it was a challenge to me. Can I beat the fire to this point? Can I beat it to this point? Can we stop it here? Um, Myself and the fire crews that I'm working with, if we can stop it here, I can go home. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean... (sighs) It was all about adrenaline, but then something must have happened or you finally realized, I can't believe I went through that. And now everything starts to hit you and you're like, what did I just see? How did I get past that? And why am I now feeling what I'm feeling now? It was about a month after I got back to normal duties. And I think it's when the lull after it happens and you get a bit more rested and you start talking about it with people Mm -hmm. and their response is, how can you do that? And you look at them and you go, well, how can you not if you're in the position? How can you say no if you are in a position to do something? Absolutely. It's a very humanitarian type of job it sounds like you have to where, you know, not everything is rainbows and butterflies every day and you have to stop erosion and you have to stop whatever it is that a dam is doing to a bank on the side of a hill or something. But when it comes to fires, that's a whole different thing. And maybe you're stopping a flood somewhere else. That's immediate devastation too. Yeah, it is. And it's both flood and fire immediate devastation very quick and it just happens in an instant it does and i don't know if you've had any of the same kind of situation hopefully not as you've had in fires but there's a reason you go and make sure that these things can hold or fix them to where they can have you ever had to experience devastating flood situations oh not devastating to the point of what we witnessed with the bushfires. I have been in a couple floods and it was a sort of shubri right, let's just let the water come down. But there has been times over here where towns have been flooded. Um, I haven't been a part of any of that. I sort of missed all, all of the major floods, which is lucky for myself, but I still feel for the people that did cop those floods. Let me ask you this. What got you into this kind of work? Was it just something that you were always interested in or did it kind of just fall in your lap and you're like, you know, that sounds like something that I would be interested in. How did you get into this? Oh, it was actually um, my previous job. I got made redundant due to the drought. Mm-hmm. So I was job hunting and found a, an ad for a position. I'm like, oh, hey, I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> and come time for the interview. And it's like, yep, this is what you'll be doing and this is what you'll be asked to do. Can you do that? 
And my response was, yep, I can do that. I'll give it a go anyways. Tell me what they asked. Can you do this? Tell me what they asked you to do. Well, they were outlining the main roles of the job, like, hey, look, this is what you'll, like, you'll be operating machines Mm -hmm. and you'll be labouring, like, manual labour and stuff like that. And you'll also be asked to assist on fires. Yeah, I can do that. Sort of the whole naivety of, Yeah. yeah, what's the worst that can happen? And two years later, I found out what the worst is that can happen. You did. And don't get me wrong, I think it does take a special person to go, you know, I can do this. And it sounded interesting to you. It sounded like the kind of job that, you know, there was some physical part of it. You, I don't know how in shape you are, but a lot of people like that about jobs that they have to do physical labor. They keep in shape, you know, and it's not the same desk job every day. And some people love that kind of work, but some people don't. So if you had to talk to anybody that's listening right now, and they wanted to do something similar to what you're doing, what advice would you give them and what message would you like to give my listeners? The advice I'd give is as long as you have a healthy support network, you will go far. Do your research into the job and, hey, if it's something that you're unsure of but you know you can do it, give it a go. I was in a position of I needed work. I didn't know. As I just said, I had no idea the full depth of what I was getting into. Right. But I found out very quickly I got humbled very quickly. Mm. And what would be a message you'd want to give to them, like as far as how you're feeling now about this and what you're doing to cope with it? Because you're still doing this job. When you come across these hard times, talk with your family. Talk with someone who you trust, a mutual friend of yours and mine. I was talking to during all of this is going on. Right. And he was tremendous with a lot of his support and he's actually in America and I was just messaging him on Facebook and stuff and he was an unreal friend I couldn't have asked for someone better and like I have support network over here who is on the same par as what he was and he's on the other side of the world. How did you meet him? Was it just, we can talk about him. His name is Justin Rimmel. He's with a Mysterious Circumstances podcast. He's one of my favorite podcasts. You guys need to give him a listen if you haven't already. He's uh, suggested other people, Gunner, Lynn Bloom to me, and I interviewed him, the uh, Detroit Mafia guy. So um, that's where Daniel came from, from Justin Rimmel. And you have been so fascinating. So how did you meet Justin? Well, I actually started listening to his podcast <laughs> about four years ago, I think. And he read out one of my reviews and I messaged him back and joined his uh, Facebook group and shared some memes, shared some stories and stuff. And he was always pretty cool about the whole thing. And yeah, he, he was just there. And I'm just one day, just while I was on a fire, and just, uh, started messaging him, telling him what I'm doing. And that was actually before I went out, I put a post on his group and said, hey guys, if I'm off Facebook for a bit, this is what I'm doing. And this is where I'll be. And yeah, I think he messaged me going, mate, be safe and that. We all want you to come back, right. which was, was a bit of a hit because I'm sort of not used to that. I have a very small friend circle to say the least. Yeah. Um, but yeah, very supportive during the whole time. Yeah, you know, 
and that's, he's amazing. And he's been so supportive of me. He even helped me do some things. I was like, Justin, I don't know what I'm doing with this podcasting. This is a good year ago. And he was like, do it this way. It's easier. And he gave me so many good tips. So I love Justin Rimmel. But back to the fires. I remember, like I told you, hearing about them and a group of fellow authors that I go to book signings with, they put together an actual book and they named it Australia with several authors. I think there was probably 20 authors that did one book for all proceeds going to the Australian charities for people that needed help with the fires, whether they were displaced or lost loved ones. And it was a big hit. And it was the least we could have done. And I commend them for that. Because like I said, in my mind, it felt like the entire continent was on fire. It was so devastating. And I think because it was so close to Sydney is why we all heard about it. And we were all like, holy cow, this is this is bad. So like I said, Daniel, I can only imagine the things that you've seen and the things that you had to endure. And if I can help you in any way getting the story out, I, I hope I have. Oh, yes, you've, you've been wonderful. And the uh, correspondence has been brilliant, oh. even though the uh, time zones are completely different. <laughs> Yeah, you guys, it's like, what time is it here? One o'clock in the afternoon here, and I think it's probably about 4 a.m. there. Am I right? Yep, you're right. (laughs) He's 15 hours ahead of me, and he got up early uh, to talk to me, and I appreciate it because I'm so glad I was able to familiarize my listeners with your story and get the message out that these these fires, you know, people go through these things all the time, even here in the States. And I don't know if we all understand the devastation it can do to the people that have to work them. The devastation. I remember one post that um, Justin actually put up on the group. And he's like, ah, the Californian fires a certain year were this size. And the Amazon fires that were going on were this size. And he goes, the Australian bushfires like I think it was six million acres at the time is still burning and still rising and I think it got to 20 30 million acres and that's not just outskirts of anything these are people's homes these are people's livestock and beautiful meadows and trees and all the things that people lost and it makes you understand why a bunch of authors got together and did a book to help these people so yeah you're not wrong there and a small town was wiped out within a day from the fires and my, uh, my listeners know that I had a fire at, at our weekend ranch in Bowie, and I've only touched on it a couple times, but I know a little bit about what you went through. It wasn't nearly as big or hot and all those things, but it was enough to where we lost about 95% of our trees and every single thing we had out there. And we had to start over. And like we were saying before I started recording with you, it looked like a bomb went off. And it was ash everywhere. Everything was black and sooty. And it was just, it was so sad to look at. Now it's beautiful and it's regrown and a lot of the bigger trees did survive, but you could still see like half of them burned. It's just crazy to look at. Oh, that's it. And I was actually talking to one of the guys and he looks at me and goes, so where's the safest spot to stand in a bushfire? And I look at him and go, burnt ground? And he goes, no. And I said, okay where and he goes well the hell away from a fire yeah fair point (laughs) why is burnt ground not safe and he goes 
I've seen burnt ground burn three times. Oh. Okay, explain. He goes, comes through, burns all the leaf litter and the fuel on the ground. There's right conditions. It jumps up in the crown of the trees, travels back through, and goes, if you get it right and the wind comes back through, it burns everything else that's left. Especially if it's windy or if, you know, some of those fires, they create their own tornadoes, their own cyclones, because they're so... The moisture that burns out of trees, the bushfire creates its own weather patterns. I've seen rain follow bushfires. I've seen it happen while oh bushfires gosh. are on. Are you um, serious? Yep, I am. We had a bushfire going on and it was raining. Not heavy rain, but it was raining. Was it helping at all or was it just because of, you know what I mean? At least it was raining because I know that the trees and the moisture and those things started the weather doing weird things. But did it help at all? Uh, For that day. Mm. For that day, it lowered the temperature of the fire. But after that, once that that moisture dried off, it did what it did and kicked back up again. But one fire, the dozer and the support vehicles almost got struck by lightning. Oh my gosh. Okay, see, it's it's a double-edged sword no matter what you do. And do you know what started some of these fires? Was it because a natural situation like we were talking about? Like in, in our situation, it gets so, the humidity goes so low and the winds pick up and they say, hey, it's a high fire danger here today. It's a red flag day. Don't use, you know, machinery or whatever. But what can happen is, It'll snap a power line and the power line snaps because of the wind and the low humidity and it starts a fire. So is that kind of what happened with your situation or was it man-made because someone was just being stupid? I mean, you know, tell me what you think. Some of them were naturally lit. Like the big one that you would have heard over there was the Gospers Mountain Fires. Mm -hmm. From what I've heard of that one, it was a dead stand tree that got struck by lightning. Mm -hmm. Um, and just smouldered for days and then kicked off from there in a remote part of that area. Yeah. Uh, others, plain stupidity. Like, yeah. there was one, got a laugh at it. Um, there was a fire coming towards a fella's place, and it was one of those shady fellas. Um, mm. Very shady. He got arrested. Um, he lit a fire to send it back, and so the bush fire didn't come to his place. Well, Cops come knocking, found what he was doing, and locked him up. Wow. You know, well, I'm glad they caught him because it sounds like, you know, people can be just little jackasses about this kind of stuff, and it just makes you so angry because it's, you know, you're affecting so many people, and it, it just, it's heartbreaking to watch. And, yeah, I just, I, I just can't even imagine. Oh, that's it. Like, Myself, I don't, like, when someone does something stupid, I don't get as angry as some people because it's like, yeah, that just proves stupidity level, <laughs> mate. Like, you're a moron. Um, yeah. When my partner looks at it, she goes, so you're an absolute idiot. You took my partner away from me for however long he was away because yeah. you lit a fire. You are absolutely stupid. Yeah. And she gets pretty cranky with it. But, yeah, like our daughter, who's six now, mm-hmm. she loves going around and telling everyone. And it's like, uh, she's like, oh, my dad's a firefighter. And it's like, um, no, I'm not. <laughs> I help with it and trying to explain to her. And there was uh, one time it hit me and 
it hit me really hard. Like uh, March 2019, we're up at Tingar and I was on night shift and I get home or get back to the motel and always call um, the better half and talk to her and let her know I'm fine. She's like, oh, yeah, our daughter wants to talk to you. As soon as she got on the phone, the waterworks come out and it was... Dad, when are you coming home? That, that, yeah, it's it was heartbreaking because you hear their little voices. You miss them so much. And honestly, Daniel, you could get caught up in these fires and you could lose your life. That's something you probably have to face every day. Oh, well, in all honesty, I've accepted it as much as I could drive out my driveway and not come home because of some moron on the road. Uh, I could die doing anything, really, and just, yeah. hey, yep, let's have some fun while I'm gone. And, you know, I got to just say something to you that I thought was kind of poignant that your daughter, I know she said, hey, my daddy's a firefighter. And technically, no, you don't work for a fire department. But you know what? I think you are a firefighter. I do think you are. Uh, Fair enough. There's uh, one thing I won't be called, though, and that's a hero. There's too many people that have told me that, and I shut them down very quickly. Well, and I was actually going to – well, you know what I was going to call you? I was going to call you a humanitarian because I do think that it takes a special kind of person to do what you do and to go through what you go through. Um, maybe not on a daily basis because it, it's not like fires happen every single day, all day long. It seemed like that probably for uh, this particular one. But I tell you, the fact that you made it through and you're able to talk about it and able to maybe help other people and give them advice along the way and still want to keep doing this, it's, it's you're baffling, but you're amazing. Oh, thank you. Um, well, I'm more than happy to give advice to people and it's surprising what one thing someone hears can help their day. Yeah, and you know, like I said, I commend you for what you've done and you continue to do for Australia and all of their fires there. That's just, and and, and all the other things that happen, the floods or anything else that, you know, devastates the land that you guys have to go and inspect and fix or do whatever. I'm sure it takes a lot of I don't know if it takes calculation because I'm so bad with numbers, but there's got to be some physics to it that <laughs> you still have to figure out too, you know? Uh, no, usually it's fly by the seat of your pants, <laughs> am I capable? Like during the whole time, we have always been given the option and it has never been you have to. It has always been can you. I remember when it started, I was three hours from home and – I'd spent four days up there helping a crew up of our guys that needed another operator up there. And I'd come home the next day. Uh, well, no, sorry, it was that day I'd got home. I got the phone call again. I'd spent four hours with my family. Oh. And it was, can you go, we need you? And I was to do prep work for a fire that was coming. And I said, not a problem. Uh, just let me finish the grocery shopping because I'm currently in the middle of the supermarket. Um, And he goes, oh, we can get someone else. I'm like, no, I'm coming. I'll be there. And I spent another five days away from home and come back. And then the next day I got another call. Can you go to this fire? And it's like, mate, you need operators. I'm there. We actually ran out of, like, our company, who is quite equipped with machines, ran out of machines to send to fires, ran out of operators and ran out of support crew to actually send to the fires to help. Wow. We had to keep saying no to any other jobs that would come up because we couldn't do them. Mm. And 
that's the thing. I mean, you know, you say don't call me a hero, but the thing is, right now, when you know it's this time of year anyway, and you're sacrificing time with your family, and I know that's that's got to be hard enough, but you're taking time away from the people that you love. And not everybody would do that, Daniel. No, not everyone would. There's two main reasons I'd do it. The first one is to help the fellow people that is on the ground and to relieve other operators that are there so they can go home. And the second one, which sounds very ridiculous, is kind of a bit of an adrenaline junkie. Um, On those, I spend the whole shift on adrenaline pretty much, and that can be 12 upwards of 16 hours a day just running on that and whatever caffeine I can get pretty much. (laughs) You're the perfect kind of person that needs to do this kind of job. And the fact that you love it, yes, it's got to be things that you see that are horrific to look at and to witness, but you know you're doing good. And if you're there, maybe you're a control freak like I am. If I can be there and help and control some things, by golly, I want to be there. And maybe that's how you feel about it. Oh, uh, I probably am. I really don't know. I just look at it and go... I should be there. I can help. I can do this. Like I spent eight days straight on a fire in next to no phone service. So I could barely talk to my partner. I'm driving home and she calls me. I've literally left that night. I've just done 14 hours on a fire and I'm two hours from home. I'm going, yep, I'm going home. I'm coming out of there. I'm in phone range. I call her. We're talking. She tells me that... Her father's place is within, I think it was five kilometres, which I think almost two miles from the house is a fire. Oh, no. And my first response was, do they need help? And she goes, they've got it under control. The family's out. My dad stayed back. said, do you want me to continue driving? Which would have put my drive at about three hours three and a half hours to get there Mm -hmm. and i said to her i said you make the call you tell me where to go and what happened she couldn't give me that answer she didn't want to um but her stepmom actually gave her the answer and her dad would have agreed with her no he hasn't been home he needs to go home i then said to my partner i said okay i'm coming home but I'm making a phone call. And I called my boss and I said to him, I said, look, this fire where this is? He goes, yes, it is threatening family. If you get a phone call to put a dozer on that fire, you call me first. You don't call anyone else. Mm. I want to be there. And his response was, mate, if I get that call, you get that call. And he goes, just be ready. I said, mate, I'm already packed. I'm good to go. So were you ever called? The call never come. From my understanding, they'd already um, mobilised equipment to that to help with the uh, access in and the fire breaks and containments and all of that. But, yeah, it uh, didn't feel right not going, but that's probably the best thing I could have done was come home because I'd just spent eight days in a dozer where the air conditioning had malfunctioned, and that may sound like something minuscule, But when you're right on the fire's edge in a glass box, it's not very minuscule. Oh, oh, I mean, it gets hot in Australia. 
I know that, but it also gets hot in Texas. And boy, if you're in a car and it, it's just sunny, not fire, just sunny, I mean, it can get up to over 130 or 40 degrees inside. And that's not even with any fire around you except for the sunball. So I understand how hot that can be. And you're exhausted. Yeah, that's it. Our um, machines are fitted with what's called a pressurizer fan, mm-hmm. which constantly blows air in to keep the cab, uh, in quotations, pressurized. So it keeps the smoke and everything out oh. so we can still breathe in that cab. So I still had that, which took it to, uh, kept it kind of around, what is it, I think 120, oh, maybe 130 inside the cab but i just kept drinking water and this is probably going to sound counterintuitive to a lot of people but just had a couple beers at the end of the day and it seems to do the world of good (laughs) honey i think i'd be drinking something stronger than beer after all that (laughs) Uh, uh, and i don't mean to make light of this i'm just telling you that you know after a while you've got to just mentally you don't have to be on when you're mentally on for 16 hours in a row and all you're working on is adrenaline and maybe some caffeine and water i don't even know how you do it oh yeah neither do i some days but i still give it a go I know. And that's another reason why I was like, when we were talking before we started recording, I was like, you know, because we were just testing out how we would sound on our audio. And I was like, you know, who knows when we can really do this again? Let's just do it now. <laughs> I know it's three in the morning there, but yeah. No, no, that's fine. When um, we started talking, I'm like, yeah, I bet you it's going to go into the episode. I'm not fussed about that at all. Let's go with it. <laughs> Let's just do it, right? So... But like I said, I know it's early there and and I hope I was able to get some of your information out that you like to share with everyone. And like I said before, if there's anything else you'd like to tell anyone or if there's anything else you'd like to share, please let us know. We're we're here to to hear your story. Yeah, no. And before when you asked me about any advice and when I said a good support network, Mm -hmm. um, if anyone is looking at this job, like a similar role, you really have to have that good support because it's not just you that goes through it. Your partner goes through it. Everyone is affected by it. Mm-hmm. Funny enough, I've actually been on both sides waiting for a dad to come home from bushfires mm-hmm. and being on the bushfires. So my partner, who is incredible, she has been wonderful through the whole thing, um, She's actually never asked me to give it up. She thinks it would be crazy to even attempt to ask that question because it's something that I just can't walk away from that easily. doesn't sound like you can, and I understand that. No, I mean, you're, yeah, I mean, Daniel, you're helping more than you're, than I think you even know. You have the knowledge of what you need to do when something happens. You have the knowledge of where to go if it's worse in one area or the other. And whether or not you can communicate because the phone lines aren't working, that on top of everything else has to weigh on you too, knowing you can't talk to your family. So it's just, it's kind of, it takes a special person to be able to do this kind of job. Oh, you're not wrong there. I'm either special or I'm stupid. I'll take either. I'm not fast. (laughs) um, But... No, like when you rock up to somewhere and they look at you and they're well within their right to say what they say because they're stressed and that, and they look at you and go, what the hell do you want? And you look and go, oh, I'm just waiting for the dozer to rock up. 
And I go, oh, you're with the dozer? Yeah. Oh, shit. We've been waiting for you guys for a month and we finally got the okay for you to come. <laughs> no worries, mate. That's perfectly fine. Where do we start? And they get the maps out and they just start showing you. Or you can get to some places and they're like, look, we're busy at the moment. You'll just have to wait until we can fit you in because we're trying to organize teams. So, okay, no worries. I'll sit over here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's probably a lot of just crazy goings on, but then there might be some other things where you're just kind of waiting. You're in a waiting pattern and you have to be patient. And that can't be easy either because you're thinking, what else can I do? I, I feel useless right now, but you're in a waiting pattern. Oh, uh, yeah. They like to call it ready and wait over here. And yeah. you get there and you stood down for a day because they don't have a use for you at the time. And you're like, oh, come on, guys. Can you give me something to do? I'm sick of sitting. But, yeah, it's one of those things like you just got to do what you got to do. And if that's sitting there waiting for them to figure out a strategy, what best works for you, because hey, I get orders, I'm told where I'm going. And if some of that plan doesn't fit, I'm going to talk to people about it and go, hey, look, this doesn't quite work. How about we try it this way? And they go, well, this is why we're trying it this way. Okay, no worries. I'll go with it. Yeah. Hey, you're doing something. I mean, if nothing else, strategizing while you're waiting to do other things to help with the actual fire. So, but no, Daniel, you've been so interesting and so gracious about your story. And I'm really thankful to you for giving me your time, especially so early there and just talking to me about this because I know it wasn't easy to talk about some of this stuff. And if if nothing else, I'm hoping I can help you because you're going to help others with your information so we can have a, a double whammy here you know oh that's it and there's one thing that actually jumped into my mind just then we had a couple of um, americans over here Mm -hmm. helping us and i got a chance to have a chat with two of the guys and they were pretty cool and i was chatting to them because i i like to do a bit of hunting and talking to them about some of the hunting over there Mm -hmm. and i was talking to one i'm like oh got some venison in the fridge there freezer i'll get the better half to cook it up and bring it in for you he's like oh do you have enough? I don't know. I didn't look at the freezer, but I'll bring some in. And he goes, no worries. Thanks for that. Well, got stood down to, because we weren't needed there anymore. So I've still took it in the next day and I get back home and the daughter comes out and goes, dad, well, yeah, goes, I want to give a present to the firefighters. And I looked at her and said, why? And she goes, because you come home. Oh. I said, that, that's a pretty fair thing to uh do so uh i looked at her and said i wasn't much but i'm like how about a couple boxes of chocolates we'll swing in to the shops and we'll grab some and we'll go out and see them and she's like okay really i'm like yeah i said so swung into the shops grabbed them some chocolates and took out there and i walked in and i said to them i'm like hey my daughter wants to give you guys a gift and they go where is she so she's in the car i just wanted to see if it was okay if she could come in and i look and go how old is she uh she's four you go yeah, she can come in, not a problem. That's fine. So brought her in, and she's like, oh, thank you for having my dad come home. Aww. And one of the guys there turned to her and said, no, we have to thank you for allowing us to borrow your dad. Oh, gosh. It's the truth, though, Daniel. It's the truth. Yeah, it is. It's... uh. I, I don't look at that side. I really don't see much past. My family's fine. I'm fine. Let's just carry on with life. Yeah. 
But when that happened, I just hit a brick wall. I was like, wow, I didn't expect any of this. Well, you know what? You were very appreciated, it sounds like, and rightfully so. You're there to help. And, you know, they can see that in you. You're always willing to go, even if you've been home for four hours, Daniel. You're willing to go home and help, no matter if it takes you away from your family right then or not. And your sweet partner says, you know what? No, go. I get it. I know you. You won't be happy if you're here with me anyway. All you'll be doing is thinking about that. So kudos to her and knowing the man that she loves and the fact that she's letting you do what you love. Oh, she knows if I said no to a phone call like that, as she puts it, you'd be a pain in the ass at home. You'd just drive me crazy because you'd be too antsy. (laughs) Am I that bad? She goes, yeah. You are. Like, I remember that call. We'd only been home. I'd only been home for four hours and we're doing the shopping because I've got two mobile phones, one for work, obviously. And she heard my work phone call and I pulled it out of my pocket and she looked at me and goes, you're going. Okay. Answered. Yeah. Uh, we need you. I was like, yeah, I'm coming. And see, she even knows. So, no, and that's the thing. I mean, it sounds like you guys are a match made in heaven, and you're very lucky to have each other because she gets it and you get it. But now you've got a sweet daughter between the both of you that you can't wait to, to see and, and her when you get home. So in that respect, at least you're at least you're doing what you love, and you come home and you get to see the people you love. So in that respect, that's amazing. Oh, that's it. And surprisingly, when I come home, for like the first hour, all I am doing is playing with the daughter with her toys and something about that just seems to decompress everything and I can go back into family life very easily. Mm, there's nothing like just the simplicity of just sitting down, hunkering down with your child and just having that innocent play with them and brings you all back to that centeredness of it's all okay. Everything's all right. I'm with my family. I'm with the people I love. And I made it again. I made it through it again. Oh, that's it. And it hasn't sort of phased me from having the odd bonfire in winter at home, chilling out around it and letting the family have a bit of fun Absolutely. outside during night. It's not something I that I'm frightened of and stuff it's helped me understand that what can go wrong and be a bit more vigilant on what's actually going on around me when I do have one right and like I said I know it's early there so I'm going to let you get back to your family and get back to your life and I really no I really appreciate your time today Daniel you have been so fascinating and you've moved me in a way that I haven't been moved in a while. And I thank you for that. Oh, not a problem. I'm always up for a chat. And yeah, it's something that's very interesting. Like I still look back and go, huh, okay. I'm still intrigued about what else actually did happen. Mm-hmm. Once we finish here, I'll be going inside having breakfast and getting ready for work. <laughs> And I'll let you go do that. So, no, thank you so much. And I will be in touch with you and let you know when this will air. You know what? My listeners are going to love your story. And you never know. I may have to have you back because they may have some questions. Oh, there's plenty of other stories as well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know I've got your number now. So I can talk to you and, and we can do this again. So, no, thank you again, Daniel. Not a problem. I'm always happy to have a chat. 
Well, I love providing because I want to know at no cost. So if you like what you heard, please leave me a five-star review or you can just buy me a cup of coffee. It's kind of like a Patreon, but you don't have a monthly subscription and you can give whatever you feel led to give. I am a one-woman show and I do all of my scheduling and my interviewing and my editing. So just know your support is so greatly appreciated. And one more thing, I am a paranormal romance novelist and you can find all of my books on Amazon. Just look up my name. I'm very easy to find. Thank you guys again and I will see you next week.